broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath and hello las vegas neil 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 rather gorsuch it is donald trump president of the united states has announced his pick to fill the seat left vacant by Justice Antonin Scalia, and that man is Neil Gorsuch. I'm still trying to figure out how to pronounce his name properly. I keep hearing it different ways. And if I had $20 for every person who asked me how I feel or what I think about this pick, I would still be poor-ish. I'm just kidding. I'm not poor. Anyone who lives in America, by the way, is, in my opinion, not poor. You haven't seen poor until you've been in a third world country. Point being... Some people have asked me, but not that many, that if everyone that had asked me, if I had 20 bucks for each of them, it wouldn't make me a millionaire. That's where I was going with that. You guys have seen to lighten up a little bit. It's still kind of early, and my brain is still turning on if you're listening to the live version of the show. Anyway, all right, this is KBXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church. I'm Crystal Heath. You're listening to The Frittle Show, and we are going to start, of course, talking about Justice Gorsuch. I know it is such. The end of the name is such, but I don't know how you put them together. It's hard to say Gorsuch. I guess Gorsuch. I think that's how it is supposed to be pronounced. I've seen it. I've seen different members of the media ridiculing each other for their pronunciations, and I've been trying to figure out and decipher between all of that exactly how it's pronounced, and as best as I can come up with it, it's Gorsuch. Anyhow, I'm sure we will all learn very quickly how to pronounce it. But, all right, let's talk about who who is Justice Neil Gorsuch. Um, and is this a good pick? Well, I, I honestly don't know. I, I think it is. Um, but it also leaves me somewhat concerned. Let me, let me just, okay, let's just dive right into this, all right? You have... I, I'm, okay, we're just going to go here. Adam Schlafly. He's the son of conservative icon Phyllis Schlafly. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly was, of course, an ardent supporter of President, or well, then nominee candidate Donald Trump. Um, and the, the, the Eagle Forum, their organization, has been very supportive of President Trump. So it surprised me when Adam Schlafly came out and uh, and opposed Trump's pick. And he said this about Neil Gorsuch. He said, Gorsuch is not pro-life. I knew him in law school, and afterwards he never said anything pro-life. In his writings, he uses only pro-abortion terminology, and he has cited favorably a landmark pro-abortion decision. His church is publicly and strongly against pro-life laws. On top of that, Gorsuch thinks courts should not correct their own mistaken precedents, which means he would never overturn Roe v. Wade. In one case in which he ruled against the Second Amendment, 
Amendment, Gorsuch even declared, our duty to follow precedent sometimes requires us to make mistakes. That approach is very similar to what David Souter and Anthony Kennedy used to uphold Roe v. Wade. No pro-life voters are going to be fooled by another David Souter. There are terrific judges available with pro-life records, such as Charles Kennedy, and women who were improperly excluded from the list. Trump's advisors should recommend them so Trump can fulfill his pledge. So you have that side of it, where you have one of the most stalwart conservative uh, legends, her son saying, I went to school with this guy, I know this guy, this guy is not pro-life. And I have a problem with that. So there's that aspect of it. And then when you add to that the fact that the media last night, the mainstream media, seemed overly happy with this pick, and then put on top of that that uh, that Gorsuch is a pal of Anthony Kennedy, then, to be quite honest, I get a little bit concerned about this pick. Um, but on the flip side of that, you have people like Glenn Beck and Mike Lee and um, um, Eric Erickson and people that are not huge Trump fans that are going, this is a great pick. This guy is going to be fantastic. I mean, Ted Cruz, who I I would argue knows the Constitution better than most of America, he said this. He said last year after the unexpected, he put this on Facebook, after the unexpected passing of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, Senate Republicans drew a line in the sand on the behalf of the American people. Exercising our constitutional authority, we advised President Obama that we would not consent to a Supreme Court nominee until we the people in the presidential election were able to choose between an originalist and a progressive vision of the Constitution. In November, the people spoke clearly. They elected President Donald Trump, who had repeatedly promised to nominate a justice firmly committed to the following, to following the law and the original understanding of the Constitution. Today, with the nomination of the Honorable Neil Gorsuch from the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, President Trump has fulfilled that promise, and the rule of law will be all the better for it. Like the renowned justice he is set to replace, Judge Gorsuch, Gorsuch is brilliant and immensely talented. He has impeccable qualifications, having clerked at the Supreme Court, excelled in private practice, served at the highest levels of the Justice Department, and garnered a stellar reputation over the past decade as an appellate judge. More importantly, though, he also mirrors Justice Scalia in that he has a proven track record of honoring the Constitution, following the text of the law, and refraining from imposing his policy preferences from the bench. As a result of his fidelity to law, he has proven to be a champion of federalism, the Constitution, Constitutional separation of powers, religious liberty, and all of the fundamental liberties enshrined in our Bill of Rights. I couldn't be happier with this selection. Indeed, I wholeheartedly applaud President Trump for nominating Judge Gorsuch. Our country desperately needs Supreme Court justices who revere the Constitution and are willing to elevate it over their own personal preferences, and Judge Gorsuch has demonstrated this faithfulness. Eleven years ago, the Senate was so confident in Judge Gorsuch's ability that it confirmed him by voice vote. In the same in the time since, he has shown himself worthy of that distinction, and I hope that my Senate colleagues give him the respect he deserves this time around as well and support his confirmation. So what... what so. Ted Cruz is basically like, yes, this guy rocks great choice. Interestingly, Gorsuch was a Bush appointee who was confirmed in one vote in a voice vote in the Senate. So it's really hard. Glenn Beck, he tweeted, thank you, President Trump, for a man who appears to be a great replacement for Scalia. For those who voted for Trump uh, because of the Supreme Court, thank you. 
Then you have this. Democratic senators who voted for Gorsuch in 2006 when President Bush appointed him, Cantwell, Carper, Durbin, Feinstein, Leahy, Menendez, Murray, Nelson, Reed, Schumer, Stabenow, and Wyden. They all voted for him. It only took one vote to get this guy through in 2006. Same person as he was then. Now, on one hand, that's pretty cool. On the other hand, it makes me go, wait, why are, why, why do Democrats not oppose this guy? You know what I'm saying? So I, I really don't know. I'm very conflicted with this pick because I, I'm seeing both sides of this argument where you have some conservatives that are like, no, 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 no. And the media, which seems to be okay with this pick, and the fact that Democrats confirmed him without any issues in 2006 whatsoever, that that concerns me. But then you have the flip side of this, where, you, where this guy is literally uniting the right has not been this united since the election, or really since last year's primary, early in the primary process. I mean, all sides of this aisle. Jeff Sessions... Senator Jeff Sessions has said this is a great pick. No, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Ben Sass. I was that's the name I was going for. Ben Sass, who has been anything but a big Trump supporter, is basically dancing in the aisle over this pick. I mean, Ben Sass, <laughs> the most outspoken anti-Trump uh elected official in Washington DC is overjoyed with this pick. So I I don't know. I don't know how to read this pick because there seems to be some seriously conflicting things that I am reading. So what it comes down to for me um, is that I think that Gorsuch is a good choice. Um, He wasn't in my top three or even in my top ten, to be quite honest with you. I I would have loved to see uh, my top three would have been uh, Mike Lee, William Pryor, and Don Willett of Texas. Those three were my three guys. Uh, for for a variety of reasons that I won't get into now because now it doesn't matter because Gorsuch is the guy. But I, I, I saw something the other day that I think summarizes really well what I think this pick will turn out to be. I think that Gorsuch will, be to, will, will judge to the right of Scalia, but that he will fall to the left of Clarence Thomas. Does that make sense? But what what I really like, though, about him is that he is an originalist, so he's not going to legislate from the bench, and for that I am grateful. But I think that in the end, what you're going to see with Gorsuch is that he will be more of a John Roberts pick and in many ways more of a swing vote than what some conservatives might uh, hope for. Because... He's not going to legislate from the bench. And I don't want to get too far into that because we're just going to get stuck in the weeds. But I I think he's a good pick. Personally, I, I would have liked someone else. But I think it's a, it's a decent pick. It just concerns me. The, the things that I mentioned earlier, they concern me a little bit. And personally, I'm feeling that in the long run, he may be more of a swing vote than a solid vote. But I really don't know. I, I don't know how to read this one. It's not one that I'm jumping up and down because I, I, I just don't know. It concerns me, the conflicting stuff that we're getting. But just who is this guy? Who is Neil Gorsuch? 
According to National Review Online, he's a worthy heir to Scalia. Ramesh Panuro has this up at National Review. He said, President Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court is Neil Gorsuch, a well-respected conservative whose legal philosophy is remarkably similar to that of Antonin Scalia, the justice he will replace if the Senate confirms him. He is, like Scalia, a textualist and an originalist, someone who interprets legal provisions as their words were originally understood. Gorsuch is a Colorado native and the son of a Republican politician, the late Ann Gorsuch Burford, who was a state legislator and then director of the Environmental Protection Agency for President Reagan. He attended Columbia University and Harvard Law School, after which he clerked for D.C. Circuit Court Judge David Sentel. By the way, let me just say this before we continue this article. I think that the man is a brilliant legal mind. And I love the fact that he is an originalist. I have zero problems whatsoever with his legal credentials. And I think that he will uh, not legislate from the bench, as I mentioned. So I have, I have no concerns there. His stance on, uh, on social issues from a personal perspective, because I, no matter what anyone says, the, your, your, your philosophy your, or your morality, rather, will dictate your philosophy. And that's going to leak through in everything you do, whether you want it to or not. It just will. Um, so that's the part that concerns me about him, because I just don't feel like I know enough about him personally. And I, I may, as we learn more about him, that, that fear may dissipate completely. I just don't know at this point, because all I have to go on is what other people are saying, what Schlafly's son, who, who, who knew this guy, in law school and stuff, and you know what? Maybe maybe his views on certain things have changed since law school. I don't know. That's that's all I'm saying. As far as his legal credentials and uh, and the fact that he won't legislate from the bench, it, it, no question there. This guy is a brilliant legal mind. Um, it's just the social issues, his personal stance on social issues that I'm I really don't have any idea right now. Which is why I don't feel I can give a, a great opinion and why I'm thinking he may be more of a swing vote. But I don't know. I could be completely wrong on that too. Um, Anyway, so let's get back to uh, who who he is. He clerked for Supreme Court Justices Byron White and Anthony Kennedy in 1993 and 1994. The next year, he studied for a doctorate of philosophy at Oxford University under the legal philosopher John Finnis. After spending 10 years at a law firm in Washington, D.C., Gorsuch went to work for the Justice Department in 2005 and 2006. President George W. Bush nominated him to the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico. His confirmation was quick and uncontroversial. That Judge Gorsuch's judicial philosophy is similar to Justice Scalia's is evident from a tribute the former gave after the latter's death. In that tribute, Gorsuch summarized and endorsed Scalia's method of legal interpretation. Judges should strive, he said, if humanly and so imperfectly, to apply the law as it is, focusing backward, not forward, and looking to text, structure, and history to decide what a reasonable reader at the time of the events in question would have understood the law to be not to decide cases based on their own moral convictions or the policy consequences they believe might serve society best. As Justice Scalia put it, if you're going to be a good and faithful judge, you have to resign yourself to the fact that you're not always going to like the conclusions you reach. If you like them all the time, you're probably doing something wrong. Again, this is from National Review Online. A lawyer who clerked for both Justice Scalia and Judge Gorsuch sees parallels between the two men. Gorsuch is a law-has-right-answers kind of guy, an originalist and a tech 
factualist, he said. He believes that the enterprise of law is real and worth doing and not just politics by other means. A low-profile 2012 case, the United States versus Games Perez, illustrates how Gorsuch has applied these views. At issue was a federal law that authorizes prison terms for anyone who knowingly violates a, a ban on the possessions of firearms by a convicted felon. A precedent in the Tenth Circus circuit, rather, Tenth Circus, that's actually kind of funny, held that a defendant who knew that he had a firearm could be sentenced under that provision even if he did not know that he was a convicted felon. In the case Gorsuch was deciding, Miguel Games Perez had previously taken a plea deal that the presiding judge had misdescribed as an alternative to being convicted of a felony. Gorsuch participated in a panel of three of the circuit's judges that affirmed the prison sentence. Gorsuch concurred, concurred in the result because he felt bound by precedent. At the same time, he made a powerful argument that the circuit's precedent could not square with the text of the law. And when the case later came before the circuit, Gorsuch urged it to reconsider that precedent. The case brought together several strands of Gorsuch's thinking. It demonstrated his willingness, shared with Scalia, to overturn a criminal conviction when a proper reading of the law required it. He paid close attention to the text and grammar of the law while expressing skepticism about letting legislative history guide his decision. Hidden intentions never Trump expressed ones, he wrote, adding an aside about the difficulties of trying to say anything definitive about the intent of 535 legislators and the executive. Scalia was a foe, by the way, of the judicial consideration of legislative intent for similar reasons. And it showed as well his understanding that a judge must follow his duty even when it leads somewhere he dislikes. He cared a lot about what the precedents are, says the former clerk. He was not interested in bending them or the usual tricks judges can use for getting around them if you don't like them. The former clerk sees similarities between Gorsuch and Scalia that go beyond legal issues. Gorsuch took a lot of care with writing, he said. He has a pretty well-earned reputation as one of the best writers on the federal bench. He always cared a lot about an opinion having his voice. The same was famously true of Scalia. But the voices are different. Justice Scalia had a sharp pen for dissents. Judge Gorsuch is just temperamentally not inclined to do that. The difference may be related to another one. Gorsuch has expressed an optimism about the trajectory of American jurisprudence that Scalia did not. His tribute to the late justice argued that thanks in large part to Scalia, even liberals on the Supreme Court were more likely to look to the text and original public meaning of laws in making their decision. But it would be a mistake to assume that Gorsuch would always rule the same way as Scalia. He may be more willing than Scalia was to rein in administrative agencies. He has called into question... Supreme Court precedents that command judicial deference to the legal interpretation of those agencies. He has been skeptical as well of agencies that purport to apply regulations retroactively. Sorry, excuse me. As Trump and his advisors have have deliberated about filling the vacancy on the Supreme Court, Gorsuch has not had the strong and prominent advocates that others did. Senator Jeff Sessions, Trump's nominee for attorney general, favored Judge William Pryor, who, like him, comes from Alabama. Judge Thomas Hardiman enjoyed the support of the unlikely duo of staunch social conservative Rick Santorum, a fellow Pennsylvanian, and the socially liberal Marianne, Marianne Trump Berry, the president's sister, who serves with Hardiman on the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. What recommended Gorsuch was his reputation for legal excellence and his relative lack of controversy. Trump has said he wants the Senate to change its rules so that the Supreme Court nominees with the support of 51 senators are guaranteed confirmation, but it is not clear that the Senate and its leaders are willing to do that. While everyone involved in the process respects Pryor, they also think Gorsuch would be more likely to get more votes. 
And then it goes on. It's a it's a long and detailed article. You can go online right now and find all kinds of information uh, about uh, Judge Gorsuch, soon to be appointed, hopefully here to the Supreme Court. So again, to summarize, I I don't know. I I think I think what it's going to come down to, uh, based on what I know about Gorsuch right now, is that he will govern to the right of Scalia where Scalia would have fallen on things, but to the left of Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas, by the way, being my favorite of the Supreme Court justices. He's an originalist. He's not going to legislate from the bench. And I think we can be grateful for that. I think that we need to pray for him. Uh, I don't know where he falls on on some social issues. He has been a staunch defender of religious liberty. Uh, but you also have uh, Adam Schlafly saying that he's not pro-life. So I, I just don't know. I, I don't know where the truth falls in all of that, but what we do know for sure, 100%, is that he's an originalist. He's not going to legislate from the bench. He is a staunch defender of the Constitution, and I believe he is a, he is a good, solid pick uh, that will probably be confirmed fairly easily. Not in my, not in my top three or my top ten, but a solid pick uh, nonetheless. That's my take on it. Everyone is going to have an opinion on this. If you'd like to share yours with me, I'd love to hear it. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter at The Friddle. Uh, But for now, we are going to take a break because we take breaks sometimes so that I can get a drink of water because right now I'm getting (laughs) very needing of a drink of water. (laughs) All right. This is the Ball Brothers with There Is Hope. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. My sister Barbara and I know the true privilege of calling the White House home. Eight years ago, we wrote a letter to Sasha and Malia, and now we pin a new one to let them know just how proud we are. Malia and Sasha, eight years ago, on a cold November day, we greeted you on the steps at the White House. We saw both the light and wariness in your eyes as you gazed at your new home. We left our jobs in Baltimore and New York early and traveled to D.C. to show you around, to show you the Lincoln bedroom and the bedrooms that were once ours, to introduce you to the people, the florists, groundkeepers, the butlers who dedicate themselves to making this historic house a home. The four of us wandered the majestic halls of the house you had no choice but to move into. When you slid down the banister of the solarium, just as we had done as eight-year-olds and again as 20-year-olds chasing our youth, your joy and laughter were contagious. In eight years, you have done so much, seen so much. You stood at the gates of the Robben Island cell where South Africa's Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for decades, your arms around your father. You traveled to Liberia and Morocco with your mom to talk with girls about the importance of education. Girls who saw themselves in you, saw themselves in your parents, saw what they could become if they continued to study and learn. You attended state dinners, hiked in national parks, met international leaders, and managed to laugh at your dad's jokes during the annual Thanksgiving turkey party. All while being kids, attending school, and making friends. We have watched you grow from girls to impressive young women with grace and ease. And through it all, you had each other, just like we did. Now you're about to join another rarefied club, one of former first children, a position you didn't seek and one with no guidelines. But you have so much to look forward to. 
you will be writing the story of your own lives beyond the shadows of your famous parents. Yet you will always carry with you the experiences of the past eight years. Enjoy college, as most of the world knows we did. And you won't have the weight of the world on your young shoulders anymore. Explore your passions, learn who you are, make mistakes, you're allowed to. Continue to surround yourself with loyal friends who know you, adore you, and will fiercely protect you. Those who judge you don't love you, and their voices shouldn't hold weight. Rather, it's your own hearts that matter. Take all that you have seen, the people you have met, the lessons you have learned, and let those help guide you in making positive change. We have no doubt that you will. Traveling with our parents taught us more than any class could. It opened our eyes to new people as well as new cultures and ideas. We met factory workers in Michigan, teachers in California, doctors healing on the Burmese border, kids who lined the dusty streets of Kampala to see the American president, and kids with HIV waiting to get antiretroviral drugs that would save their lives. You have lived through the unbelievable pressure of the White House. You have listened to harsh criticism of your parents by people who have never even met them. You stood by as your precious parents were reduced to headlines. Your parents who put you first and not only showed you, but gave you the world. As always, they will be rooting for you as you begin this next chapter. And so will we. And we are. That was Jenna and Barbara Bush reading their letter to the Obama girls as they left the White House uh, just less than two weeks ago. The Today Show had that on. Um, and it was it was so precious and so sweet. And they, they put together this epic slideshow. I'm going to share it on Facebook and Twitter because I think it's, there's some things that have been lost in the, in the transition, things that we should see and things that we should know about. And say anything you want about President George W. Bush and his family, the class and the grace that the Bush family showed uh, during their transition and during this transition – in my opinion, is unparalleled. I mean, President George W. Bush, you think he didn't have lots to say when President Obama was in office? He didn't suddenly stop having opinions or stop caring about the country because he was no longer president. But he chose to stand aside. He said the president has enough people that will criticize him. I don't need to be one of those voices because I've stood in those shoes. And I think that is just so powerful. And he kept that and he didn't criticize. He, he, he took a step back and purposefully placed himself out of the spotlight so that President, then President Obama could do his job more effectively. And that, I, I don't, I, really, it doesn't matter where you fall in the political spectrum or what you think of George W. Bush, that was leadership. And Jenna and Barbara Bush, the, the daughters of President and, and Laura Bush, the, the grace and class that they showed in, in the first letter, letter that they wrote to Sasha and Malia when they came into the White House, if you've never read that, you should Google it. Go and read it. And now their letter to them upon leaving the White House, just so precious, so gracious, so kind and helpful, though they're on complete opposite sides of the political spectrum. They recognize them as people and they, they, they pass along their advice that only they can give. You don't know what it's like being a president's kid. I can't imagine what it's like being a president's kid. I mean, somebody said the other day, you know, oh, Barron's got the best life in the world. I, 
I don't think I would want to be a president's kid. I mean, yeah, you get to live in the White House, which is cool, but for Barron, it's probably really a step down compared to what he's used to. But the pressure, the spotlight, growing up, I don't know how you could possibly have any type of normal childhood growing up in that situation. Even even as a, the children of a, of a governor or a senator, pick your politician. I can't, I can't imagine what that life is like now yeah you get to do some awesome cool things that no one else i mean that other kids could only dream of but you also don't get that normalcy everything you do in your life is under a spotlight if you make a mistake if you mess up it's not just your parents that are going to be talking to you about that you know your your picture your face your name is going to be all over the media everyone's going to be talking about it. everyone's going to have an opinion about your life and that's just not fair that's not how how God intended it. God gave you parents for a reason. That's your parents' job. And it just, it, it, it hurts me when I see people on either side of the aisle mock or make comments about Barron because his life, I'm guessing that 99% of Americans had no idea who Barron Trump was or that he honestly even existed until Donald Trump ran for the presidency. And now all of a sudden, He's become the focus of our memes and the, 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 the brunt of the jokes, and it just shouldn't be that way. He didn't, he didn't choose this. And his life just got incredibly complicated. We'll never be the same. Although he's probably more better prepared to deal with it than any former first children because his dad was a celebrity prior to uh, prior to becoming president. But that's neither here nor there. The point is leave, leave Barron alone. And, and I hope that President Obama and his family will follow in the tradition of their predecessors, particularly uh, the Bushes, and graciously step aside and graciously let President Trump uh, do his job now. Sadly, it doesn't appear that that's the direction that we're going. I believe President Obama has already commented about the the immigration, the executive order on immigration, which in my opinion is just, it's not classy. Granted, he can do whatever he wants. There's no rule against it. But it's just not classy. And furthermore, it's setting a new precedent. My mom pointed this out the other day. I thought it was a great point. If President Obama decides that he is going to regularly... And uh, and loudly proclaim his thoughts about everything that Donald Trump does during his presidency. Then we're we're setting a new precedent, where then when President Trump leaves office, you're not gonna be able to say anything when he starts tweeting or whatever else about what his predecessor, or rather his success, his his. I can't even say the word. The one that follows him, uh, what they do. Which, and he would probably do regardless, just because that's his personality. I could be wrong. I don't know. But it seems like he would do that regardless. But if if the press is going to let President Obama get away with this and, and not have an issue with him taking issue to the current president's actions, then, yeah, you're you're leaving the door wide open. For when Donald Trump exits the presidency in either four or eight years, so that will be uh, that will be interesting to watch. So, but I just I wanted to get that in here. 
I've had it in my show notes for over a week now. I just haven't had time to get to it, but it's just a, an awesome letter, and it's got just a great slideshow. That was Jenna and Barbara Bush with their letter of advice for Sasha and Malia Obama uh, as they were leaving office and just really good that's class and grace and i think we can all learn uh that from president george w and mrs laura bush and their children even if we may or may not agree with their politics or everything they did while in office all right let me mention now mario Giannini state farm insurance they're one of our kvxl sponsors offering insurance for all types of different things including auto home and life insurance if you have something that can or should be insured give them a call they can help you out and if you mention kvxl when you call mario Giannini state farm for a no obligation insurance quote then they're going to donate ten dollars to experience liberty radio you can reach mario's team at 702-982-3300 and we'd like to thank them for their faithful support of of our weekly programming. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Chris Tomlin with Jesus. We'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. And that was Chris Tomlin with Jesus. This is The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. We've got church tonight at 7 p.m. If you are here in the city, join us at 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard. If you are outside of Las Vegas, you can stream our service online at experienceliberty.com or on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash, uh, I believe it's LBC of Las Vegas, and you can stream our service there at 7 p.m. Pacific. So it would be 10 p.m. for those of you on the East Coast. All right, before I let you go, in case you haven't looked at your calendar yet today, it is the first day of February. February 1st. Mm-hmm. See how that works out? <laughs> and to celebrate February 1st, we've got some fun facts about February for you from the Express in the UK and the Burlington Record. The Romans developed a 10-month calendar. Way, way back in the day. And when I say way, way back in the day, I do mean back in the day, as in long, long ago. Very long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. There is a belief that what is now February was overlooked when the calendar was created. Because, see, back long, long ago, in that place far, far away, they didn't really consider winter to be a time worth recording by days and months. It was just like this blah season because it didn't have anything to do with harvest. Nothing was being planted. Nothing was being uh, reaped. So uh, winter for the Romans was just, a, just you know, whatever time. There was no monthly setup in the winter. This changed when the second king of Rome, Numa Pompilius, came to power in 713 BC. So he decided that he wanted to make the Roman calendar more accurate by syncing it with the lunar year. Now, the lunar year is basically 354 days long. So he added two new months to the Roman calendar, January and February. At that time, both January and February had 28 days, but... Even numbers were considered bad luck at the time. So these two months were not looked upon favorably by the king who created them. (laughs) So he decided that he was going to change things up, and he added an extra date of January to make it 29 days long. But they left February as 28 days because they decided that it would be the unlucky month, and so they devoted that to honoring the dead and performing rites of purification. And that's where we get the word February, because February comes from February, 
which means to purify. February remained the last month of the year for roughly 200 years until the calendar was reevaluated and February was reassigned as the second month. January got bumped to the first month and it became a 355 day calendar, but it couldn't keep sync with the seasons because it didn't take account of the actual amount of time that the Earth orbits the sun. So how do we fix this problem? We add an extra month. So they've added an extra month of 27 days uh, um, each year to play catch-up. But sometimes <laughs> the Romans would just simply overlook this month or forget to schedule it, apparently, and the calendar conundrum continued in the Roman Empire. Then along comes Julius Caesar. And for all his many personal faults, he decided that the calendar issue was going to be fixed once and for all. He decided the calendar was going to be solar-based, like what the Egyptians had used, instead of the lunar-based calendar that had been put in place by Numa Pompilius. So he creates the Julian calendar. He added 10 days to the calendar in various months months. February was increased every four years. He's the one that created the leap year to 29 days so that the days of the year would coordinate with the calendar and the solar cycle of basically uh, 365.2425 days. But he kept February as the shortest month of the year. As a result of February being the shortest month of the year, it has some unique attributes that no other months have. Once every six years, February is the only month that has four full seven days of seven day weeks. And in some years, February is also the only month of the year. Well, February is the only month of the year this could ever happen, but it doesn't happen every year. But February can pass without a single full moon in the entire month. The next time that will happen is next year in 2018. February also starts on the same day of the week as March and November. In regular years, and on the same day of the week as August, in leap years. It ends on the same day of the week as October, every year. And in leap years, it's the only month that begins and ends on the same weekday. Ho, 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 ho. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Uh, February frequently occurs in the list of the most commonly misspelled words in both English, well, in, in both English and English, in both England and the Americas. Last year, a press release from the White House consistently spelled February as February, with no R after the B. Much Ado About Nothing is the only Shakespearean play that mentions the month of February. And before Julius Caesar's calendar reform in 45 BC, February was the only month with an even number of days. And last, but certainly not least, perhaps the most important thing you will learn about February from this segment of my show is that in the United States, February is National Pet Dental Health Month, and it is also Hot Breakfast Month. If I had known that earlier this morning, I still would have only poured myself a bowl of cereal, but it is exciting to know that we have a month that celebrates hot breakfast because I love hot breakfast. And I hope you do too. And I hope you have a fantastic day and that at some point in your day you get to enjoy a hot breakfast because that would just... I mean, breakfast all day, you could even go to Cracker Barrel. We have them now here in Las Vegas. You could go to Chick-fil-A and get hot breakfast because we have that too. Although I'm not sure if they do breakfast all day. Not sure on that one. Cracker Barrel does though. So does IHOP, Denny's, 
lots of options for you. Or you could just go you know, to your stove. Your stove does hot breakfast all day. All you have to do is crack the egg, put the toast, all that good stuff. Anyhow, I'm out of time. Hope you'll join us tonight for church, 7 p.m., Liberty Baptist, 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard here in Las Vegas. This has been The Frittle Show. You can catch past episodes on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just Google The Frittle Show. It's really very simple. The name, it stays the same no matter where you go. (laughs) And we're going to end with Michael W. Smith and You Won't Let Go. Same time, same place tomorrow. Thanks to those of you listening over on the 405media.com. Hope you have a fantastic day.